gospel, let us stand in body or spirit. The gospel lesson today is from Mark 1, verses 29 to 39. And forthwith, when they had come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and at once they told him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at evening, when the sun had set, they brought unto him all who were diseased and those who were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with divers diseases and cast out many devils. And he suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and those who were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Has anybody told you yet today, wait for it, changing things up, that God has invited you into the flow of love? Has anybody asked you? You you have been invited. Let me be the first. You've been invited into the flow of God's love. One of my mentors in ministry recently pointed out the... (laughs) There's something missing from the Apostles' Creed. It's good theology. But it doesn't say anything about love. This is the school of love, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is where we learn how to love. This is where we learn how to forgive. And God gives us ample opportunities to practice that again and again and again. One of the ways that we learn in this church is through small group ministries. And we're about to start a new small group series in the season of Lent. And the book that we're going to be using is this book right here, Exploring the Way. An Introduction to the Spiritual Journey. It's by Companions in Christ. It's a wonderful resource put out by Upper Room Books. Um, In the very beginning of this book, which will be unpacked by various groups meeting at different times, there's going to be a sign-up sheet uh, across from my office if you'd like to sign up for one of those small groups. It begins with a quote from Elizabeth O'Connor who was a great Christian in the 20th century, lived her ministry in the Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C., which is an umbrella of many different house churches that do some wonderful justice work and compassion work on the streets of D.C. She writes, That is what Christianity is all about, becoming lovers. The mission of the church is just loving people. And our confession... What is our confession? 
It is that we do not know how to love. Until we have made that confession, there is nothing to be learned. We cannot even be a beginner with the beginners. And in the school of Christianity, there is nothing else to be but a beginner. And on the next page, there's a quote from Thomas Merton from his book, Contemplative Prayer. We do not want to be beginners, but let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything else but beginners all our life. This is a kind of humility that would behoove us as Christians to realize that we don't know yet how to love God, how to love ourselves, how to love our neighbors. We're still learning that. And so we keep coming back to Jesus. How did Jesus love? That may give us a clue as to how we can love. Jesus availed himself in this particular scripture that Cheryl read to those who were diseased, diseased, those who were dealing with demons. And last week we talked about how demons are probably now understood as addictions, addictions to substance, addictions to ways of responding to people and situation, addictions to the ways we think. It's it's all an addiction that we need to be freed of, and Jesus can help us to, to free us up from those addictions. After he leaves the temple, he goes to Simon's mother-in-law's house. She is sick with a fever. He heals her. He raises her up, and she responds by serving, which is a clue for all who want to follow Jesus. When we are healed, we are healed so that we can serve others. And she finds herself not only serving Jesus and some of the disciples, but it says in the scriptures, the whole city is at the door. The whole city comes to be healed of their diseases by Jesus. I don't know if Jesus was stressed out, but I imagine Simon's mother-in-law was probably a little stressed out. Can you imagine the whole city coming to your door? Well, we may not be in Capernaum, but I would venture a guess that we probably have the equivalent of the city at our door. And the city is disguised as emails that we need to respond to. Calls we need to return, papers we need to write or grade or send, people we need to reach out to, family members, children, grandchildren, parents, grandparents, spouses, friends, neighbors that we care about, that we're worried about, that stand at our door and need something from us. And we may feel a little overwhelmed by the fact that the whole city stands at our door. I'm very aware of the ministries done in this church at the, uh, at the end of the year, every United Methodist Church has to fill out forms online called the end of the year statistics. And we have to submit all sorts of information about our finances and about our worship attendance, 
by the way, our average worship attendance is 143 over the two services, um, which is up two from last year. One of the interesting things we have to fill out is line 23, number of persons served by community ministries for outreach, justice, and mercy. Pastor Sharon and Karen Berry and I spent hours, hours, over days, putting that figure together. We had to look through 1,800 names and try to remember who is involved in what ministry so that we weren't double counting them. And then we had to look at all the ministries that we did in the Chatham United Methodist Church and how many people were impacted by it. Last year, we counted 8,889. 2016. 2017, the number was 32,948 people. Now, that's 20, 000, at least 20,000 more. Do you know why? That's right. We did Rise Against Hunger twice, and each time we put together 10,000 meals for refugees and people who were hungry. So that bumped our number by 20,000 last year, but it's also 4,000 ahead of what we did in 2016. But these numbers may not be as important as the numbers that are represented by the congregation who are in ministry outside of the church. And I know some of you have shared with me how you are in ministry with a neighbor, with a friend, with a family member, with a work colleague. And sometimes you've asked me to pray for that person. I don't know who they are, but God does. And so I add them to my prayer list. The ways that you impact the world don't end up on statistic sheets like these, but they are vital, and they are important, and they are of God. And I thank God for your ministries with those people. So We who may at times feel like we're in a ministry and the whole city is demanding our attention. There's always a risk that we might get compassion fatigue. Do you know that expression? Compassion fatigue. Like we just don't have any more gas in the tank. I can't take on another ministry. I can't be present, really present to someone because I've just been doing it so much. Do you ever have days like that? Followers of Jesus, we are invited to look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for how to keep living into the flow of God's love. It says in the scriptures, after this evening of healing and the whole city is coming into Simon's mother-in-law's house, It says that Jesus, while it was still dark, got up and went to a deserted place where he could pray with God. Friends, followers of Jesus, we may need to find in our busy lives a deserted place where we can turn everything off, put everything on airplane mode, silence mode, and just be present in the stillness. That may be where we need to be numerous times during the day 
And as we approach the season of Lent, that may be a great opportunity for us to say, I'm going to even set my alarm on my smartphone to go off at certain times to call me to silence, to call me to prayer, to call me back to self, back to the ground of being this God who gives us life and breath and being, but we forget because we get so busy. This week I've been doing some reading on the benefit of silence. The early church and the mystics and the people of the Hebrew scriptures, they knew this. They intuited the need for silence. They understood the need for silence. And science is now proving what the Hebrew scriptures, the early church, intuited. In 2013, there was a study on mice published in the journal Brain, Structure, and Function. They used different types of noise and silence and monitored the effect the sound and silence had on the brains of mice. The silence was intended to be the control in the study, but what they found was surprising. The scientists discovered that when the mice were exposed to two hours of silence per day, they developed new cells in the hippocampus. The hippocampus is the region of the brain associated with memory, emotion, and learning. The growth of new cells in the brain does not necessarily translate into tangible health benefits. However, in this instance, researcher Imke Kirsten said that the cells appeared to become functioning neurons. Quote, we saw that silence is really helping the new generated cells to differentiate into neurons and integrate into the system. In this sense, silence can quite literally grow your brain. Do you ever have days where you think, I think my brain is failing me? Do you ever walk into a room and think, what did I come in here for again? Or go from one email to something online and then think, what was I looking for online? Friends, we are the first generation in the history of humankind to ever have to process so much information. The jury's still out as to whether our brains can do that and still function the way they're supposed to. We may desperately need silence for our own health, our own healing, our own spiritual vitality. In the journal, 2013 journal Frontiers in Human Neuroscience, the report shows during periods of silence, your brain has the freedom it needs to discover its place in your internal and external world. After church today, one of our parishioners came through the line and she said, you know, my son has some learning disabilities and he's on the autism scale. And since he was very young, his doctors always encouraged him to spend five minutes of silence in the morning and five minutes of silence in the afternoon. And what he discovered is it reset his brain. His brain was, he compared it to a pinball machine. And the silence helped quiet his brain 
and his brain could recover. Friends, that may be good for all of us. Five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the afternoon, or longer to come back to ourselves. There was a study done in psychological science about the effect of noise on children, and they went to Munich where a new airport was put in, and they studied the schools around the airport, and they discovered that kids had this ability to tune out the new noise of the flights coming in and out of of the airport, but their brains couldn't distinguish between other noise, and they also tuned out voices. And the discovery was... These children not only ignored harmful stimuli, they also ignored stimuli that they should be paying attention to, such as speech. This study is among the strongest, probably the most definitive proof that noise, even at levels that do not produce any hearing damage, causes stress and is harmful to humans. And then finally, in the the journal Heart, It was discovered that two minutes of silence, this is just two minutes, can prove to be even more relaxing than listening to relaxing music. They based these findings of changes they noticed in blood pressure and blood circulation to the brain. They could see it in brain scans. That two minutes of silence allowed blood flow to more easily happen in the brain. And blood pressure went down. We may not have the luxury of choosing silence. We may desperately need it. We may need to run to silence and to the deserted places where Jesus showed us this is what you do. Some time in silence, some time in ministry. Back to the silence, back to ministry. This is the rhythm that Jesus was showing us, hoping that we might take note. And so, friends, as we prepare to enter the season of Lent in the next two weeks, we might want to get a head start and schedule something for our busy calendars where we go to a deserted place, even in our own homes, even in our workplaces, even in our neighborhoods, even wherever we are. Maybe it's waiting online somewhere and we discover, well, if I have to wait, I may as well make this a deserted place. The psalmist in the Hebrew Scriptures wrote in Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. In that stillness, this may be where God wants to meet us and minister to us and help us recover from the noise of our lives. May it be so for you and for me and for the church of Jesus throughout the world. Amen.